Well, the scripture today, the, the message today is uh, it's really pretty simple if you consider a miracle simple. <laughs> it's, the, it's the passage where Jesus really leaves the 99. He comes down from the Sermon on the Mount, from the Mount where he was teaching on high and parallel, un, an uncanny parallel to the passage that Tyler read just a minute ago from Exodus. And he comes down from the mountain. That in and of itself is pretty profound. He doesn't stay lofty. He comes down from the mountain, but he goes to the farthest reaches. He reaches out from the 99 to the one on the margin, to a leper. Now, what, what does leprosy have to do with me today? It has to do with, with you today. What's the relevance here? I think what we're going to see in this passage is that just as Jesus has this kind of humble and outstretching posture to the consequences of the human condition, so does he have the same kind of posture and the same kind of heart for the human condition itself. That, that just as no one is beyond the need of God's grace, and we're to identify with the leper in that sense. You can see the consequences of a fallen world in that, in that all-consuming consequence of that disease. We're supposed to identify with it. That, that just as no one is, is apart from the need of God's grace, there's no part of you, there's no part of us that's beyond the reach of God's grace. From the Word of God, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Hear God's Word this morning. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was thinking about this message. I was thinking how it applies to the human condition, the worst part of the human condition. I was thinking, what if somebody asked me who didn't know what I did or didn't know me, said, you know, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, and I was sort of teasing this out in my mind, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a bunch of people together and I'm going to talk to them about something that they don't want me to bring up in public. That's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to get a couple of hundred people together at a time and, and we're just going to talk about uh, something that they'd rather not even think about. That, that has to do with the human condition. But you know, our, our greatest potential is on the other side of our biggest problems. You know that. And I love that Tom Landry quote that says, the job of a coach is to get people to do what they don't want to do so that they can become what they only dream they can become. So maybe you'll forgive me for bringing up your pride this morning. Pride. There's no other word that captures the essence of the human condition like pride, and I think leprosy is just such a perfect illustration of what pride is. I mean, pride is basically uh, competitive in a way that pushes people away. It keeps people away from you. 
Pride is not content with having more. It's content only with having more than. Pride is not content with getting better. Pride is only content with being better than. It's basically competitive. And like leprosy, pride numbs us to the pain, potential pain, of rejection. You know, you know that's the problem with leprosy is not that, that you're, you're, there's, there's a disease that causes your fingers and your, your limbs to, to decay, but that you cannot feel pain, and so you, you basically beat the members of your body to death. So, too, with pride. When we cannot feel the pain of human relationships, we cannot engage in them either. We get rid of the lows, we get rid of the highs. What will melt our icy pride? What we're going to see in this passage is that the only thing that melts pride is God's desire. And this is the surprising thing. God instinctively desires you even at your worst. And when you can see that, when you can receive God at your worst, you can see your continued need for him even at your best. And then you can have the courage to connect. So, recognizing that God desires you at your worst will help you continue to pursue him and let him pursue you even at your best so that you can connect, come what may. First, God desires his instinct, his instinctive reaction to our worst, our rebellion, our pride is to pursue. It's to pursue. It's to reach out. Verse three, you can see here, God stretches out. Jesus stretches out. God in flesh. Putting on that injured flesh. He stretches out even further to the last, the least, and the lost. The worst of us. He instinctively reacts out of a desire to connect with us. It's powerful. A leper was on the furthest margins of society. In fact, you know what a leper had to do at the time? If you had leprosy, because it was uh, contagious, because uh, they wanted to protect the, the temple community from it, you, you couldn't come inside the temple. You couldn't, you couldn't come inside of the, the, the gathering even of the temple courts. And if you were to walk out in public down a road, you had to to yell out and, and sometimes just beat on something, getting people's attention, saying, unclean, unclean. But God's instinct, Jesus' instinct, is to move towards the worst of us. You know, I was thinking about this. This is actually a, a more dynamic picture of God's holiness than the austere, distant, sort of antiseptic, cold picture that we often think of as holiness. Let me, give you a, let me give you a modern day image of what this dynamic holiness is really all about that instinctively responds with compassion even when we stiff arm him with our pride, even when we rebel, even when we run from him. The instinct that God has, the holy instinct, is to stretch out his hand. 
to stretch out his hand. I was thinking about this. There's, there's a little story about a guy who's in a rowboat, and he's just in a little canal, maybe in Venice, and, uh, and he's rowing along, and somebody cuts him off, and he bumps right into the boat. He turns around and yells at him, what are you doing, you idiot? I can't believe, watch where you're going. And the, guy's, the, the guy didn't realize where he was, and he could tell that he was just crestfallen, and the look on his face was just heartbreaking, like he didn't mean to do it, and he kept going a little further, and uh, he bumps into another boat. He turns around, his ire begins to swell in his body, and he turns around, the hair on the back of his neck stands up, and he goes to yell him, and he realizes it's just an unmoored, empty boat. And then all of a sudden, his anger just receded. But then, guilt flooded him because he realized he treated an object better than a person. He treated a captainless boat with more patience than the captain of the earlier boat. But that is our natural instinct when somebody insults us. I mean, how do you feel when somebody sort of bows up on you and, and insults you and, and sort of puts you down? Doesn't feel good, does it? Our natural reaction is what? Our natural reaction to pride is pride, right? I mean, pride is, is a virus that, uh, that infects everybody around you. It, it repels everybody around you, except the person who has the virus. And that's our natural reaction. But God's natural reaction, Jesus' natural reaction to our pride is to humble himself and take on the nature of a servant. You know, it's, it's, it's all well and good to talk about serving one another or to be a servant leader, but then how do you feel when somebody actually treats you like a servant? Uh, Jesus was treated like a servant and yet pursued us. You know, it's, it's, it's not just the image. If you think of the image of the Sistine Chapel, that, that, that famous central image of God reaching out his finger to touch and bring life to Adam's finger. You know that, that image? That God is speaking order into chaos. This impersonal chaos. He's speaking ex nihilo, out of nothing. He's creating order. He's creating life in all of its complexity. It's more than that here. When Jesus stretches out his hand, he's stretching out not just to an impersonal chaos, but a deeply flawed, personal, rejective chaos. And yet, his instinct is to desire you in that very place. He's the father waiting on the front porch for the prodigal son. He's the father who lifts up his skirts and runs without his dignity because of his desire for the one who's coming home. He, he's the He's the cheerful voice calling to, the, to Zacchaeus up in a tree, somebody that nobody would want to be seen in public with. I'm going to your house today. He's, 
He's the invitation, the voice of invitation to the woman at the well, the outcast, the one who everybody had rejected. His desire, his instinctive desire is a holy desire. It's a dynamic holiness that we need to picture because because there are places where you and I continue to run from him because we don't believe that he wants that part of you. You don't believe he wants that part of you. You believe it's the part of you that's beyond the reach of God's grace. But when, when we can recognize and see he's stretching out his hand to the worst of us, the worst part of us, then we can begin to see that even at our best, we need him. That's our second step this morning to understanding how God melts pride. That even at our best, when we see, when, when, when we're melted in that place where we think he's just going to reject us, that that's beyond God's reach, but when we can see his desire is for us there, that that's the dynamic nature of his holiness, then we can begin to recognize that even at our best, we need him. Verse two, you see, the, the, the statement that the leper makes is, if you will, he says, Lord. Of course, that's a sign of recognition of who he is, sign of respect. If you will, another sign of respect. Not, not a presumption, not a health and wealth. Oh, you know, if I just hold my mouth right, if I just pray the right prayer, if I'm just good enough, if I just have enough faith, you know, I just kind of gin up enough faith, and of course I'm going to be. That's the health and wealth gospel. That, that, that the sign that God is present is always that he's going to give us what we want if we get in the right posture. No, this is the right posture, whether or not you will. I believe and contrast that with, with Mark chapter 9, where a, a man is dealing with, with a different kind of problem, a more perplexing and mysterious problem. His, his daughter has, is, is under the possession of, of something evil. And this man is exasperated and frustrated and, and so, uh, uh, so, so bent on making things right for his daughter but how does he approach Jesus? He says, if you can, if you can. You see the dismissiveness in that? You hear the dismissiveness? It's almost like, you know what? I'm just going to guard myself. I'm, I'm going to, you know how I'm going to deal with a potential disappointment in life? I'm going to lower my expectations, even and especially of God. And so I'm going to keep them at a stiff arm distance. If you can, you know what? That's kind of a dare. There's nothing vulnerable in that. If you can, you, you know, heal my daughter. If you can. Where are you on that scale between if you will or if you can? Where are you? I mean, think about it. Your frustrating places about yourself, about life, about things that are locked up, about patterns, about, about circumstances. Where are you? between if you will and if you can. 
the ritual system of cleansing yourself, like washing your hands going into the temple, was to remind the, the temple community, the people of God, was to remind even the Pharisees <laughs> that in washing their hands, they have an outward sign there, a visible sign of their inward need, that even leprosy, those lepers weren't to be so marginalized that they were not, no longer a part of the community at all, that they were totally uh, other. But to identify with the consequences of sin so that we can be reminded of our great need in the condition, the human condition, that's never beyond the reach of God's grace or the need for God's grace. But what happened was that sort of washing their hands or creating these rituals, what, what they ended up doing with this, this ceremonial law was sort of building their own human self-reliance upon it. They began to build a different kind of system that says, you know, I've got this. You know, God, we'll take it from here. Thank you very much. We've got it. We got it. And pride began to form the foundation of that Old Testament system. You know, it's, it's a little like this. You know, if, uh, if we're going to see our need, our continued need, even at our very best, it's a little bit like getting an annual checkup. I mean, who wants to do that? <laughs> Especially the older you get. You know, they're just like, no, I don't. Better not to know. You know, it's just whatever, whatever's going on, you know, just forget about it. You know, just, uh, I'll be fine. I'm sure it's all good. You know, whatever's hidden is hidden. You know, but... But then, isn't it humbling to get a checkup? I mean, I'm not going to go into detail, but I mean, just think about how humbling it is to get an annual checkup. There are all kinds of things that need to happen, right? It's humbling. And you think, well, you know what, I'll just put it off till next year. But what if, what if you thought to yourself, you know what? My doctor has my best in mind, and I trust him. <laughs> and even though I feel great, I'm going to put myself under his care, under her care. And this is a little bit what, what this passage is leading us to. If you will, I'm going to put myself under your care. I'm going to trust you no matter what. Whether you do or whether you don't, I'm putting myself here, even at my very best. I trust you. And see, here's what happens. When, when you and I recognize that God's instinctive desire at your very worst, the most embarrassing place, the, most, the, most, the darkest part of your past, that God desires you in that place, and you begin to see that even at your very best, <laughs> your very worst still lingers, self-reliance and pride still lingers, that your need is still there, you know what, what, what happens, what begins to work on us, what, what begins to, to open up is a greater capacity to connect with God and to connect with other people. No longer are we like the leper who is just can't feel. We're just keeping people at a distance. No longer are we calling out unclean, unclean in our own mind, in our own heart, saying, you know, I, I'm not worth being known. And you know what, I'm just going to sort of smooth over things with the social skills that I've learned over a long period of time. But we can begin to have the confidence to be transparent, to be real, to be who we really are, not to be an imposter before one another. 
and to connect with people, come what may. What does Jesus do? After he heals the leper, he's done, he's done right? He's, he's all set. He's finished. He's healed. So why does he send him back to do what, uh, what in Leviticus 14 or what it's implied in, in the passage we read earlier in the Old Testament passage, a ritual sacrifice within the temple community? Why does he do that? He sends them back into relationship. When, when somebody asks Jesus, what is the, you know, what's the heart of the law? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he goes on and he continues with his answer. What does he say? The second one is like it. In other words, he's saying there's a connection between the Old and New Testament. There's a connection between the first tablet and the second tablet. There's a connection between loving God and loving each other. An important and powerful connection. That if you and I are going to continue to have our pride melted and to grow into the capacity to connect with people and become the people that we only dream that God uh, can make us into, then we have to be in each other's lives in a different kind of way, to live a, a different kind of humanity, even to be available. You know, there's a crazy place. I mean crazy place in James 5 that says, confess your sins to one another. When was the last time you did that? Well, we've got time at the end of the service here. You can come forward, pair up. I mean, imagine that. Better yet, what if you joined a small group and built the kind of trust that we're called to and began, instead of saying, you know what, I affirm all of these things and I'm learning more about God, that we are actually called into a posture where we trust each other in places where, you know what, I have it in my head, but it hasn't gotten my heart yet. And it certainly hasn't gotten into my hands, my lifestyle. Lord, <laughs> Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. That's the rest of the passage from Mark 9 where he says, if you can. To be a people who, who say, if you will, you can, then we have to be sent back into each other's lives and to be a lot more open and honest with each other. That's why... That's why for many years, before the pandemic, I kept harping on small groups. I love Sunday school. I think it's a wonderful thing. I think everybody should be a part of Sunday school. I think when you're in a, a group of 20 or 25, it's, it's kind of hard to develop the level of trust you need to develop. I think it's important that you have a, a sense of community there, and maybe that's a step, you know, a crawl, walk, and run. But I think that when you're in a small group and over a, a period of a couple of years you develop a real sense of trust, you can actually have a real exchange. Under the news, under the sports, under the weather, you can have a real exchange of who you really are and what you're really wrestling with and whether you, or not you're really believing in such a way that you're applying what you know. You know, Pete Scazzaro really rung my bell many years ago. He's a, uh, he's a pastor. He went to the same seminary I went to. He's about 20 years ahead of me. But he, was, uh, he had been pastoring a church in the Northeast for 22 years. And his wife quit the church. She said, your leadership isn't worth following. She quit. <laughs> Honey, don't get any ideas. I know you're, she's somewhere in the room. But she said, your leadership isn't worth something. Do you know why she said that? You know why she said that? Because, and, and Pete admits this, and this is their whole ministry now. He said, you know what? I, I was just playing church. I was just playing at it. I wasn't being real. 
He said, you know what? I had, I had been a Christian for 22 years, and I thought I was a 22-year-old Christian, but I was actually a one-year-old Christian 22 times. What will break through your pride to give you the greater capacity to connect with the most important people in your life and the people to whom you're called, the people that need to see you on the way, the people that, that are in your sphere of influence who are just longing for a real human touch. Not somebody who's got it all figured out, not somebody who's got it all wrinkle-free, not someone who's got it all together, not somebody who's got all the answers, but somebody who says, if you will, in a posture of trust. It's somebody who is able to be more transparent. To ask the question like that, if you will, is to show real vulnerability, not power, not leverage, not saying, you know what, I dare you, Lord, I dare you to fix that, but to say vulnerably, this is what I need. I trust your will, whether you do it or not. To work that out in human relationships requires pride to die. I think that's why Jesus sends him back. Sends back the guy who had to yell out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, and sends him back right into the heart of community to connect again and again. That's how we grow in the Christian life. I love uh, Edwin Friedman's book, A Failure of Nerve. He says this, any renaissance, you think about this breaking through a melting of pride as sort of a renewal of your life, a renaissance. He says this, any renaissance anywhere, whether in a marriage or a business, depends primarily not on new data. Are you following me? Oh yeah, I understand all this in my head, but do I live it? Not on new data or techniques. Oh, I've got the skills to sort of make everything smooth around me, right? But on the capacity to separate from the surrounding emotional climate in order to break through barriers. What's he saying? He's saying the same thing Jesus is saying. Go live out in the open. Live your faith out in the open in such a way that people can see the seams of it. Live it out in the open in such a way that they see even your posture of trust. Live it out in the open in such a way that pride has to melt. That vulnerability has to be part of the equation. See, <laughs> it's an impossible thing that I'm asking of you. I understand that. It's impossible. It's as impossible as healing somebody with leprosy. But I think what we'll find is that when we recognize, when you go to your prayer closet, when you, when you really reflect on those places that you think are just too dark for light, when you realize that God's instinct is to pursue you to the ends of the earth in that very place, you can begin to have your pride melted at the place where you think you've got it all figured out. And then you can have the confidence and courage to connect. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you have stretched out your hand in such a way that speaks hope and peace to the human condition. Lord, this morning, 
in the quiet of this place in time, in the closing of this worship service, and in the coming season where we celebrate God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, would you help us to have the courage to let you in? In Jesus' name, amen.